tonight, our last message of the year when it comes to this series is called The Wall, Defending the Feminine Heart. And so we're going to dive into a path. We're going to dive into our role as men when it comes to the women that God has given us. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, sponsored by Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. It's equipping men in 10. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men from around the world and find out the type of dad you are. Tonight, our last message of the year when it comes to this series is called The Wall, Defending the Feminine Heart. And so we're going to dive into a path. We're going to dive into our role as men when it comes to the women that God has given us. And I'm not a polygamist. I'm talking about your wife, your daughters, your daughters-in-law, your granddaughters, this type of thing. So I'm going to tell you a, a story from when I was in high school. I was a senior in high school, and uh, we had some friends that owned a lake property. And so we, were, we would go out to the lake, just, you know, they'd let us go out as high school guy, you know, guys, no girls allowed. We would just go out there, and we would just do what high school guys do. You know what I'm saying? And my buddy Mark Courtney had the coolest maroon Camaro. Why we don't see Camaros anymore, those were the coolest, like a 78 Camaro. I mean, these things were, I mean, awesome. And I remember we're driving back to the back of this lake, it was eight, nine in the morning, because you got to get there early, because you got to get the sun going, you know, got to get the whole thing happening. And I had my little brother sitting in the back seat. My buddy Mark was driving shotgun. I was sitting or he was driving. I was sitting shotgun. My stepbrother Mitch, who's a junior in high school, was behind me. So the four of us are going out there to have a good time. And you guys can fill in the blanks there. We're driving. We're about a mile from the cabin on a dirt road. And we see this sign and it says, go slow. And my stepbrother Mitch, who was always up for a party, said, and he had this raspy voice that sounded like he was a chronic smoker, and he wasn't. He said, that, you know what that sign said? Or like what? He said, 
go fast. And my buddy Mark punched it on a dirt road on a corner. And we, we took off heading for the wall, the, the side of the hill. And he realized he was going to hit the side of the hill. He hit the brakes. He overcorrected and hit the brakes. And we're tipping on a cliff 100 feet above the lake. Thank God he was driving American muscle rear-wheel drive. If that was a Prius, we would have all died. He backed the car out, but I thought, man, it would have been a great opportunity to have a wall when things go bad. And I think as we talk about that tonight, this message is called the wall. And it's that you guys are that opportunity when things go bad in the, women, in the lives of the women that you love, that you guys are the ones. Our job as men is to build a wall around those people. So I, I want to say this. Tonight, there's a disclaimer tonight. Tonight, I am preaching on a verse that is for men and women. So I just want you to know that. But I am only going to focus on our role as men with our women. But realize this passage does address men and women. So I just want you to know that out, up front so you don't think I'm missing something. David Gilmore wrote a secular book called Manhood in the Making. And in that secular book, he said this, manhood is the social barrier that societies must erect against entropy. Now, entropy is the propensity of moving things to diminish. It's, it's, does this make sense? Anything in motion gets worse. Any human being, we, we get worse. The tendencies get worse. So uh, against entropy, uh, uh, in, for human enemies, the forces of nature and time and all human weaknesses that endanger group life. So what he's saying here is when men get it, everybody wins. A secular author here. This is what he's saying. So tonight when we're going we're gonna to answer four questions about these walls that we are supposed to build around feminine hearts. We're going to answer who should we build a wall around, when should we start building these walls, where should we build them, and why we should build them. Super simple message tonight. I was looking up the word wall. Wall, according to Wikipedia, says this. It is a structure or surface that, now listen to this. A wall is a structure or surface that defines an area. Think about this in the context of manhood and the people that you love. A wall defines an area. It defines boundaries, right? It defines limits. It carries a load. In the context of masculinity, we are the ones carrying the burden, right? And it, three, provides security. Isn't that cool? A wall carries a load, provides security, and defines an area. Now think about this as we think about this in the context of manhood. So I have a work, I've created my own working definition. I like to write things down and define them. It just makes me feel really smart. So I use words I never use in public. So here we go. You ready? This is my working definition of a wall. An immutable barrier of protection and provision that produces boundary, security, confidence, and peace to those living within its borders. And so it's really interesting. If you guys were here last year, we talked about uh, this Greek word leader, when God calls men to lead, and he says that men are to manage their household well. In 1 Timothy, it says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4, that a man must manage his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he ever take care of the church of God? And the word for manage here is the Greek word prostomai. We've talked about this word before. Prostomai is a really interesting word. When you break it down in the Greek, 
It means exactly three things. It means that, and, and I've I said this pretty recently. If you imagine a house, if you imagine this word prostomai is like a house, it comprises three things. First thing is this. The prostomai, the manager of his household, presides over the household. In other words, he's a roof. So we think of walls as being perpendicular, but he is a horizontal wall. He is a roof that contains and sees the big picture over his family. Prostomai also means that he is a provider. He provides rooms, individual rooms, for those under his care. He recognizes that everybody who's under his care has individual needs and an individual heart. Here's a verse that you probably don't know. You probably don't understand this verse. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up your child in the way that he should go, and when he is older, he will not... Yes, but that's not what it means. In the original language, it means this. Train up a child in the way that he should go according to his bent. And when he is older, he will not depart from it. So our job as providers is to provide what that child needs according to their temperament, according to their birth order, according to their desires in life and their dreams and their skill and their education or knowledge. So we as fathers, we preside over we provide for, and that means more than just food and a job, right? We get into trouble. We think all we have to do is provide money for our kids. We have to provide heart things. And the last thing is he protects. He is the literal wall around the, per the, the perimeter. He is the guy. He is the last defense. He's the one who says, that movie won't come in this house. That language won't come in this house. That girlfriend or boyfriend won't come in this house. Let me get my shotgun. I mean, he's the guy who puts the perimeter. So when we talk about this wall concept, we see it in the original Greek language for manage. Prosomai, to preside over, to provide for, and to protect. Isn't that cool? We see a wall in the Greek language. But we're not talking about Proverbs 22 tonight. We're going to talk about Deuteronomy Chapter 22, verse 8. So the walk-up song tonight was Pink Floyd's The Wall, Part 1. This song was written by Pink Floyd's co-founder, Roger Waters. Roger Waters played the bass for Pink Floyd. And if you grew up, if you've never listened to Pink Floyd, I'm telling you what, it is, I mean, The Dark Side of the Moon, Comfortably Numb. I mean, these albums are not an album, they're an experience. I'm not kidding you. They're the most interesting band I've ever heard in my life. But he wrote this song because his dad got shipped off to World War II fighting for the English army. He went, to the, he went to Italy to fight the Italians and he died at the Battle of Anzio. And he wrote this song, part one, about a father who would never come home. And here are the lyrics. Daddy's flown across the nation, leaving just a memory. A snapshot in the family album. Daddy, what else did you leave for me? Daddy, what do you leave behind for me? All in all, it's just another brick in the memorial wall. All in all, it's just all bricks in the wall. And so what he's saying is his dad, who was a rock, who was a cornerstone, went off to war and died, and is now, instead of being the cornerstone of his household, he's now another wall, brick in the memorial wall, lost in battle. And he's grieving. And when Roger Waters wrote this album, uh, you can read about it on your own, but he, he, it was a chip on his shoulder, the whole album, because he lost his dad. He didn't know what to do. 
So if we look at Deuteronomy 22.8, this is the weirdest chapter in the Bible. It's basically, I don't know what your translations say, but my New American Standard says various laws. Uh, There's another translation calls them sundry laws. Any Any other titles over this section that you guys see in your Bibles? I just call it random laws. This is the most random chapter. It's, let me read these to you, okay? This is so random. Here we go. Let me read it to you. I usually don't read big portions of scripture, but this is so random, I just have to do it. Verse one, you should not see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray and ignore them. You shall take back your brother. You will take them back to your brother. And if he does not live near you and you do not know who he is, you shall bring it home to your house and it shall stay with you until your brother seeks it. Then you shall restore it to him. And if you shall do the same with his donkey or his garment or with any lost thing of your brother's, which if he loses it and you find it, you may not ignore it. Verse four, you shall not see your brother's donkey or his ox fallen down by the way and ignore them. You shall help them to get lift, to lift them up again. Verse five, a woman shall not wear man's clothes nor shall a man put on woman's clothes. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. If you come across a bird's nest in any tree on the ground, or with young ones or eggs, and a mother sitting on the young or on the eggs, you shall not take the mother with the young. You shall let the mother go, but the young you may take for yourselves that you may go well with you and that you may live long. What is that about? Does anybody know what that's about? Okay. Verse eight, here's our teaching verse. When you build a new house, you shall, not, you shall make a parapet, which is a low protecting wall for your roof that you may not bring the guilt of blood upon your house if anyone should fall from it. Verse nine, you should not sow your vineyard with two kinds of seed, lest the whole yield be forfeited, the crop that you have sown in the yield of the vineyard. Verse 10, you shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. Verse 11, you shall not wear, this one is, reminds me of my wife. You shall not wear a cloth of wool, then mix them together. Or you shall not wear cloth of wool and linen mixed together. Sorry. My wife would add, you should not mix camo patterns. You should not wear two types of plaid. Like, I mean, you should not wear uh, two earth tones. Like, my, like two earth tones. I couldn't get out of the house with that. Those are earth tones. It's got to be off. It's got to be dark and light. I mean, my wife, these, she's, she would love this law. Like, seriously, like, are you going out of the house with that? No, honey, I'm not. What am I going out? You know, I mean, camo is my favorite color, but oh man, I got to be careful when I wear it. Okay. Verse 12, you shall make for yourself tassels. I don't understand. Okay. You shall make for yourself tassels on the four corners of the garment, which you cover yourself. If you watch the, the TV show, The Chosen, you'll notice that they're wearing these tassels. And it was a Jewish thing. So, so let's look at verse 20, uh, verse eight. Let's break it down and let's start with this question. Who should we build our walls around? Who? The Bible says, verse 8, When you build a new house, you shall make a parapet for your roof that you may not bring guilt of the blood around your house if anyone shall fall from it. In the English Standard Version Bible, if anyone should fall from it. New International Version, if someone falls from it. And if NLT says also someone. So we need to build a feminine wall for who? Tonight, we're talking about the women in our lives. So what I'm saying tonight is we are called to build a wall around these women in our lives. And when I say women in your life, here's what I'm saying. I'm saying the women that God has placed in your inner circle and he's asked you to 
guard. I'm not talking about the secretary at the office who you, you have a couple text threads that are a little questionable. I'm not talking about, uh, you know, uh, uh, I'm not talking about any other female. I'm talking about the women that God has called you to protect. Your wife, I mean, really, if maybe, I think it's, I'm going to give you the list and just stop right there. Your wife, your mommy, your daughter, your daughters-in-law, and your granddaughters. I mean, really, that's it. Oh, but I've got this one woman I work with and she's got a pro- hey, I don't care about her. She's not yours. God has called you to protect your women. Okay, I want to be careful with that. Because I've had some guys say some pretty stupid things in the past about this. So, a married man has at least one woman to protect. And here's what I'm going to say to you guys. Your wives, and I want you to hear me very clearly here. 1 Corinthians eleven seven says, The woman is the glory of man. Yes, I am taking that verse out of context. The woman is the glory of man. Your women wear your wall on their countenance. I can tell by the quality of what I see in your woman, like I see Dan over here and his wife, Gannett. Like I, when I see Gannett, I'm like, dude, she's gnarly. I love her. Dan has done well with her. 40 years, Dan, how long? 42 years. I mean, his wife is just BA. I love her. She resonates with a man who's loved her well, right? If my wife walked in the room here, you'd be like, dang, Ramos, high five. Tim's wife, high five. I mean, you're the, I'm not talking about the beauty of a woman. I'm talking about the countenance of a woman. She wears it on her face, in her eyes. She wears the quality of your wall around her. Listen to this. Uh, I love this short poem. It's, it's like if I had a life poem, this is my life poem. Because a, a lot of guys, when they read this, they go, I've blown it with my wife. I'm, my wife and I, I'm on my third marriage. My daughters hate me. I mean, whatever. I don't know your story. But I'll tell you this tonight, guys. The, here's my poem. Though you cannot go back and make a brand new start, my friend, anyone can start tonight and make a brand new end. So I just want you tonight to be considering this. And so when I talk about your wife's countenance, Here's what I'm asking you. When you look at your wife, how many of you guys married a woman, you're like, dang, I'm just marrying this ugly woman. She's ugly. Anybody want to marry an ugly woman? Like on purpose? No. All of our wives are like hot, right? Like, dang, she's so good. Look, you know, we marry this dime, right? She's a dime, right? So my question to you is this. The dime that you married, is she still a dime? Or is she ugly? Is your wife ugly to you? Because if she's ugly to you, that is a direct reflection of your wall. Now, I did a podcast called Is Your Wife Ugly? And ironically, the women loved it. Six months after that podcast, got a call from a guy named, I'm going to call him Mike. Mike called me. He said, hey, uh, I just want you to know that your podcast really changed my life. I go, I, we hear that, you know, we hear that quite a bit from people, right? But I always wanted to, well, how does it change your life? He said, well, I live in Colorado. I lived in Colorado. I listened to your podcast. I looked at my wife. She looked ugly. She looked frumpy. She looked wore down. We haven't had sex in two years. He said, man, he said, I quit my job. I sold my house. I picked up my wife and we moved to Missouri. 
He wrote me a letter and he said, let me, let me read it to you right here. You want to hear this? This is an actual letter from this guy, Mike. He said, a couple years ago, I listened to your podcast talking about how you can tell that same, uh, some wives were taken care of and some were not. I had to admit mine was not. I prayed to the Lord uh, for direction. I prayed, Lord, you made me desire sex, but I'm in a sexless marriage. And my wife doesn't want to have sex in all, at all. And what, what viable outlet do I have for my sexual desire? So he packed up his bag and everything. And he sent me this email and he said, we had a nooner today. <laughs> it's right there in the email. He's like, and we have sex twice a month, which may not sound like a lot for you, but we were having sex twice every two years or something like that. So here's a guy, and he goes down and he goes, he says, uh, my 20-year-old has been healed from a bipolar disorder. My 21-year-old is in full-time ministry. Uh, and I've communicated direction and values to my family and I'm engaged in my family matters that need my attention. He just goes on and on. And I realize when a man gets it, everyone wins. He looked at his ugly wife and said that she is not acceptable. I'm going to change her. And he has. He said she cares about how she looks. She, I mean, it's just it's awesome. And I just think, guys, when we, we can tell the quality of our wall by looking at our wife. So look at your wife and just you to tell me, you tell me how she's doing. I it's not my problem or my business. It may be my problem, but not my business. So we know who we should build the wall around, but when should we start building this wall? Look at verse eight. Verse eight says, when you build a new house, you will make a low protective wall. When should you build a wall about, around your feminine hearts? The answer is yesterday. Yesterday, in the context of this passage, it says whenever you build a new house. So what this means is the moment that you and your wife come across the threshold and you start this marital relationship, you need to start building the wall. And the moment you welcome that daughter into your arms when she's seven pounds, two ounces, you know, you are to start building a wall around her heart. And the moment your son's I'm, I'm in this great phase. I love this phase. And your sons marry these beautiful women that you've been praying for for 25 years, and you get to call them your daughters. It's a beautiful phase to begin to build a wall around them, their heart. My little granddaughter, you know, had her spend the night two nights ago, and, and mom had, grandma had to go fly, and so it was my job to get her to school in Willamina at 7.30 in the morning. So I put her cat outfit on and put the whiskers on her face and colored them in and took the selfie and went to McDonald's and, and got her to school. And I mean, you know, it's just, it's like, gosh, it's so, prayed with her at night, prayed with her over breakfast, holding her hand. It was just beautiful just to go, man, I'm building a wall. Start now. You may have a bad marriage. You may have a bad relationship with a daughter, a daughter-in-law, granddaughter. Man, start now. So in one of my books, I talk about these 10 marriage-saving guardrails. So a guardrail is a type of wall. I'm just going to read these for you. Uh, so if you're a guy who's got, who's, who's, who's got some kind of wall he's building where he shouldn't be building it, I just want you to take note tonight. Never develop an emotional connection to a person of the opposite sex. Never be alone with a person of the opposite sex. Meals, meetings, or mingling, unless it is a work-related open-door meeting with some way for people to look in there. Because I know sometimes you have to do it. Never engage in, a neg in negative talk about your spouse with a person of the opposite sex. Never compliment a person of the opposite sex unless your spouse is woven into the compliment. Weave, boys, weave. <laughs> Never have long-standing counseling meetings with, this is a pastor's do this all the time. Oh, I'm mentoring this girl. Well, you're a dummy. Don't mentor women. 
Your wife is the one who needs to be mentored by you. Never make physical contact in a non-casual way with a, you know, we don't say good game to other women. We just don't do those things. Number seven, never make rude, coarse, coarse, or sexual comments, especially to a person of the opposite sex. Number eight, never give a gift or card that is only from you to a person of the opposite sex. We, everything's from we. Never give, have non-business related conversations, real or artificial, with a person of the opposite sex. And last one, never assume your spouse is living by your standards. Be engaged. So those are some walls that you can build around your relationship. So where should we build these walls? Verse 8 tells us where. Verse 8, look, it says, now, Rick, you're going to love this. You're going to love this part. Because I spoke at your church years ago, and this is the whole theme of your, your, your event. Your roof. Your roof. If anyone falls from your roof, you build a wall around the women on your roof. So in the Old Testament times, uh, roofs, houses had flat roofs, and there was a ladder that would go from the outside to the roof. It was kind of like a man cave. You'd go and have, you'd watch NFL games. You'd, it was this flat roof, and you would have uh, your ground up on top of your dirt, and, and they would allow the dirt to naturally produce grass. So you would have like grass, and you would mow it with your goat. I don't know how you got the goat up top, but you'd have to get the goat up and mow the lawn and have your buddies over with your Traeger and your, your uh, you know, your, what is it called, Blackstone or whatever, right? The people, these people lived in extended family units all around the patriarch's home. So most of the people that came to your house were family members or very close friends. To be invited to somebody's house was a great honor. So this passage is saying you need to build a wall to protect yourself about people who already love you. People who are in your inner circle. And I'll, I'll just go back and say this, man, guys, we're just not responsible for any other women. I don't know about you, but mine are hard enough to deal with. You, unless, unless something happens to where you bring someone in an adopted situation, right, or there's, a, there's, a, there's an agreed upon covenant, you have to start with your women first. And if your women, if you are building a solid wall around your women and your daughters have a hurting friend, I would say it's okay to begin to minister to that person, but you have to make sure your walls are being built around the people on your roof first. Does this make sense? I'm not being legalistic. I'm just saying, guys, we got to be smart. If we've got a broken relationship with a daughter, we're not going to bring some adopted girl. We've got a daughter here that needs us to build a wall around her. She needs that extra time, so we need to give it to her. So here's a story that had me crying tonight. So I used to work at a church in California, and we lived on the parsonage. And so the church was at this lower level, and there was a staircase that probably had 150 steps. It was a pretty steep staircase. It was probably 100 yards of stairs, and the top was the parsonage. That's where we lived. Well, I would go down every Sunday, and I would to Sunday school with the teenagers. And then my wife would get our, little ba- our boys ready. They were, you know, two years apart. And she would send the, the ones that could go to Sunday school down. Well, there was a time where my old, only kid in Sunday school was my oldest son, James. He was five years old. And he would come. She would release him. She would, okay, this isn't like in 19. She, we had a phone. She would call me on the cell phone because we didn't have texting. And she'd say, I'm sending James down. Come and get him. So on this particular occasion, it was raining. And we live on the north side of the property. And the rain, was, of course, was blowing south to, you know, from the southwest. And when I got out to see my son, 
He's standing. He's got his little gap, navy blue gap jacket on. He's this tall. He's got his little hood on, and he's crying because the southwest wind is pelting his face. And as soon as he sees me, he starts crying, Daddy, cover me, Daddy, cover me. I couldn't get up there fast enough. And I had this stupid navy blazer. They used to make me wear a tie and a blazer. And I wrapped his little five-year-old body up in that blazer, and I walked him down that hill backwards, and I just got, I was soaking wet when I got down to the church. But it was a moment where my son said, I need you to be my wall, Daddy. And I still, I still remember that moment, those moments when our kids say, Daddy, I need you. And our kids are saying that. They may not say it that directly, but they're saying it. And they're saying it in their 40s, 50s. They're always saying it. And we just have to be very sensitive to build a wall around the people on our roof. Here's why. Look at verse 8. It says, that you may not bring guilt of blood upon your house. Another translation says that you may not bring the guilt of bloodshed on your house if someone falls from the roof. Here's why we build a wall around the feminine hearts. We build the wall to protect them, but according to this verse, we build the wall to protect us. And here's what I'm learning. The older I get, the more I'm looking back at my kids, I've got great kids. I mean, I really feel like I've done a good job. But I have regrets. Like the older I get, the more I regret things I didn't do or things I said. And it seems like the older we get as men, we tend to see those things and we have more regrets. And so we have to be really diligent to build walls around the hearts of those women in our lives so that we don't look back and have regrets. I love this quote. I don't know who said it. It's better to sleep on what you plan to do than to be kept awake by what you've done. In 1904, William Borden graduated from a Chicago high school. 1904. He graduated a millionaire. His parents, Gerald, you'll love this, they had one of the biggest dairy operations in all of, have you heard of this name? Borden? Borden. In all of Illinois. And this kid grew up as a millionaire. For his high school graduation gift, Parker, you know what he got from his parents? A trip around the world in 1904. As he's going around the world, India, Africa, Asia, he's, yeah, I think that's right. Okay. He's seeing the brokenness of society. And he, he decides to to go into full-time missions work. And he writes this to his parents. I'm going to give my life to prepare for the mission field. When he made this decision, he wrote in the back of his Bible, no reserves. No reserves. Writing home, um, uh, turn, he turned down several high-paying jobs after his high school graduation. And then after his graduation from Yale University, He entered two more, after he graduated Yale and turned down two more high-paying jobs, he wrote these words, no retreats. So in his Bible, no regrets, or I'm sorry, no reserves, no retreats. Completing his studies at Princeton Seminary, Borden sailed for China to work with Muslims, stopping first in Egypt for some preparations. While he was there, he was stricken with cerebral meningitis, and he died. But before he died, he wrote the words, no regrets. No reserves, 
no retreats, no regrets. And my desire for all of us guys in this room, whether you're a single guy still waiting for that woman, uh, whether you're a widow, guy, a widower guy, whatever you are, that we would not have regrets. But that we could look back on our life and look back at the life we're living now and say, man, I am building the heck out of these walls. They are strong, they are high, they are thick, and I'm never gonna stop building those walls, ever. I'm never gonna stop. Because in my marriage, the moment I stop, entropy, things start to go south. We can never stop building the wall. So guys, I, I hope this helps you. Who should we build a wall around? Man, we need to put, build it around those who are on the roof with us. When do we do it? We do it yesterday. Where do we do it? Around all those relationships that God has given our lives. And then why do we do it? We do, do it to protect the hearts that God has given us and to protect our hearts from a life of regret. Hey guys, we're coming up to the end of the year. Did you know that Men in the Arena is a crowdfunded, faith-based, 501c organization? We receive approximately 90% of our operating budget income from our financial champions. At the end of this year, would you please consider donating a one-time gift or becoming one of our monthly financial champions to Men in the Arena? God bless you, and until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game, get dirty, grind it out, and be a man.